Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time to come together and study your word. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning. Help us to um, have ears that are attentive to listen to what you're trying to say to each and every one of us. Uh, Father, this this command from Christ this morning is one that uh, is, is seems so simple, and yet it it's so difficult sometimes to pull off. And I pray that this morning as we study it and talk about it, that we would become increasingly more aware of just how important it is for us to keep this command. So, Father, we give you this morning. Help us to put everything else aside for the next few minutes and concentrate on what you would have to say to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, you don't have to get up. But I want you to look around the room, and I want you to find one guy you think you could really love. Okay? Do it. Look look around the room. Come on. Yeah. Makes you kind of sweaty palm, doesn't it? See anybody? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm looking across this whole room, and I don't see anybody. There's not anybody in this room I think I could really love. Uh, is Is there anybody that looks particularly lovely? Now, if, I was, if this was thir- Thursday morning, you know, ladies' ministry, that'd be a different question. But come on, guys, look around the room. There's, there's really nobody in this room that's particularly lovable, lovely. And I was real tempted to have everybody stand up and, you know, take the guy next to you and give him a big old bear hug. But I knew you wouldn't do it. There is one guy who would do it, and, and this, I'm going to have him come up. Doug, come up here, Doug Cecil. Welcome, yes, this is Doug Cecil. Have you ever heard Doug say, you know, when he does the, you know, the announcements or the welcome, he always says, welcome, and he scares half the congregation. Um, But, you know, around the office, um, everybody has different ways of showing affection, right? You know, even guys. And, you know, when we walk in, you know, Bill Egner does what? How does he greet everybody? Yeah, it's, it's, it's this. drives me crazy. You know, he'll walk around all the secretaries saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And he, everybody has to high five. And he comes up to me and I says, go away. Um, what, Doug, show how you typically show affection. Yeah. Isn't that sick? There's just something sick. You know, I don't mind the fact that he hugs me. It's just getting him to let go. You know, it's just... Well, that's how Doug shows affection. So, you know, he'll walk around the office and he hugs. Of course, he, he hugs all the secretaries, which is really dangerous. But this is, this is how I show love, and it's like that. <laughs> it is. It's a, every day I, I smack him in the head. I walk into his office and I smack him in the back of the head. Um, and it's in my home, that's how we show affection. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, well, most of them don't live at home anymore. They, they left at an early age, but... Um, you know, we're, this morning we're going to talk about this, this next command in the life of Christ. And it's one that's, um, like I, I mentioned in my prayer, it seems like it should be so simple. But yet, I think it's extremely hard. And it's this command right here. It says in John thirteen thirty four, A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Again, you read that and you think, okay, yeah, we're supposed to love one another. But notice that it's a, it's a command, it's an imperative, it's not a suggestion, 
It's if you feel like it, or if they happen to be lovely or lovable. It just says, love one another. Later on in chapter 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So what is he telling us? He's saying, love one another. That's the command we're going to look at this morning. And again, in a group of guys, this is a tough one to cover because that's just not who we are. I mean, it's just not, it's just not, you don't talk about that. It gets, it gets kind of nervous to talk about love among a bunch of men. But Jesus commands it. So what does it mean? What does it mean to love one another? What does it look like is probably the best question. What, what would it look like if we really did love one another? Again, I could get you to stand up and hug one another, but that doesn't mean you love one another. I sometimes get my kids to hug one another, and usually it's after they've argued. And I'll say, okay, okay, stop, stop. Go hug your sister. And they're like, oh, God, Dad, please, come on. No, go hug your sister. And it's just, you know, especially my 13-year-old son, he's like, oh, God. And he just walks up, and it's, it's like the, the no-arm hug, you know. You ever done that? Yes. And they hate it. If I, if I can get him to put his arms around his sister, is he really loving her? No. He's just doing what I told him to do. And that's what I want us to be careful of this morning, that I don't want you to walk away from here just thinking, Dad, gum it, now I've got to go love some guy. I've got to go love somebody. You know, that, you've missed the point. But what, what would this look like? That's part of what I want to talk about this morning. And what does Jesus Christ give us as the standard of love? What does he give us as the standard? It's this. It was in both those verses we just looked at. What is it? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. What did, you, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus show love to us? Just yell it out. Dying. Dying. What else? He suffered, served, becoming a man, sacrificed, gave it all, poverty, humility, obedience. You know, it's amazing if you, if you look at what he did, you know, typically, you know, we'll, we'll say, well, what did Jesus Christ do for you? How did Jesus Christ love you? Well, he died on the cross. Yes, he did. But there's so much more wrapped up in that than we tend to put into it. Um, Easter's coming up. We're just several weeks away from from Easter. And when you think about Easter, the cross is significant. Without the cross, we have no hope. But without the resurrection, we really have no hope. But you have to think where he came from and what he did and the scale of what he did in order to show his love. And we're going to look more closely at that. But the standard is we're to love one another as he has loved us. And I don't know about you, but it seems impossible. I don't know that I can love like that. You know, every one of these commands we're looking at are impossible in and of ourselves. I can't love any guy in the room the way he loved me. At least I don't think I can. I don't even know if I can love my wife and kids that way. But that's the standard. It's impossible. And it is a radical command. You know, as I was driving in this morning, it, it really hit me that what you and I have been called to is a radical new lifestyle. Everything Jesus did was radical. Everything he said. You go back to Matthew chapter 5 and the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Everything he said that day was totally radical. It blew them away. It, it, it was a whole new way of thinking. It was a whole new paradigm. We are called to a radical way of living. And this is right smack dab in the middle of it. We are to love one another. Why is that radical? Because in our world, it is not normal to want to love one another. It's not normal. It's just not the way we're wired, especially when you think of the kind of love he's talking about. See, the kind of love we talk about is, I'll love you if you love me back. I'll love you for what I get out of it. I'll love you as long as you love me. But see, that's not the kind of love he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of love you just looked up in those passages, totally sacrificial, lay it on on the line, expect nothing in return kind of love. So it's radical. Number one, and if you if you look closely, look over at Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter two. This is one of my favorite passages. Philippians chapter two. And we'll start with um, well let's let's pick it up with verse one real quickly. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Then here's the critical part. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, what we have here is a, a, are several things I want us to look at. Number one, Jesus gave up his rights. You know, when we say Jesus died for us, that's a pretty powerful statement, but you also have to realize that when he took on human flesh, he gave up his rights. Philippians verses 5 and 7, it says, he emptied himself, the great kenosis passage. He basically took his divine rights, and he didn't, he didn't absolve himself from them. He didn't become impotent, but he took those rights... And it's like he set them aside, still had complete access to them, but he chose not to use them. In other words, when he was hanging on the cross, he could have literally saved himself. He could have called down angels. He even said so. He could have, and this is why it would have been really dangerous for me to be Christ, because I would have. If I had that power at my, my disposal and people were mocking me and spitting on me and nailed me to a tree and then they're, they're saying, hey, if you truly are the Son of God, save yourself, I would have. I mean, I'd have smoked everybody and it, it would have been an empty hillside. Or I'd have snapped my fingers and I'd be down there looking at all of them hanging on the cross. That's what I'd have done. He had the ability, the power to do anything he wanted to do. He was still divine, but what he did is he took those divine attributes and he, he willingly set them aside. He gave up his rights. Isn't one of the hardest things about loving somebody else is that you've got to give up your rights? Isn't that the toughest part? 
If you talk to somebody who's going through a marriage problem, a marriage issue, rights are one of the things that causes the most problems. Well, I have a right to do that. I have a right to have my own money. I have a right to do what I want to do, go where I want to do, stay out as late as I want to stay out. I have a right to my friends. I have a right to... Yeah, you do. And it will destroy every relationship if you keep hanging on to your rights. If you're not willing to put them aside. Jesus Christ had this attitude where he emptied himself. He gave up his rights. He willingly put aside his divine rights. Willingly. Not under coercion. He did it because he wanted to. And he put the Father's will ahead of his own. See, for you and I, again, what does God want you to do? He wants you to love. He wants you to love one another. What did God want Jesus to do? He wanted him to love. He wanted to show the love of God through his life by taking on human flesh, living a sinless life, dying on that cross in my place and on your place. And he did it because that was the Father's will. So when he was in the garden, hey, Father, not my will but yours. I'm going to go through with this because it's your will. He gave up his rights. He had every right at any moment to say, you know what, I don't have to put up with this. I don't need to put up with this. I don't have to put up with this. But I'm going to put up with this because it's the Father's will. It's the Father's plan. And I love the Father. He did it willingly. So he gave up his rights. We also learn in this passage that he humbled himself. Somebody mentioned that. It says he took on the form of a bondservant. Being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Don't lose sight of the fact that it says he took on the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. See, we don't, we don't fully grasp that, that when he took on human flesh, it was a huge step down for him. A huge step down. This was not like a play act. This was not like him just putting on a little suit, and, okay, I'm going to pretend to be a man. He became a man. He took on limitations as a man. He took on hunger. He took on pain. He had to walk everywhere. This is, this is the Son of God, the Creator of the world, who sat at the right hand of the Father, who made you and I, and He humbled Himself. So if you're going to love one another... You've got to do as he did. You've got to humble yourself. And again, isn't one of the hardest things about loving somebody else is that sometimes you have to humble yourself to love that person, to put them first. He was willing to become a servant, it tells us. He was willing to become one of us. See, if you're going to love somebody else, you're going to have to learn to serve them. You're going to have to become one of them. You know, many of the guys in this room work on Sunday mornings in the children's ministry, and it's, it's, I admire you, because it's not an easy task to get down and, and love a little kid, some snotty-nosed kid that doesn't pay attention and doesn't listen to what you say and may not even recall what you taught, and, but you're getting down on their, their level. You're loving them, and they will remember that, especially the love of a man. And most of those kids down there need it. Become one of them. 
And to see a guy get on his knees and, you know, get on the floor and play with blocks with a little kid, yeah, you're humbling yourself. You're becoming one of them. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. It's the way we show love to one another. We have to humble ourselves. You've got to realize he stepped down to our level. You know, it's easy sometimes to love those who are like us. It's really hard to love those who don't look like us, smell like us, dress like us, act like us, speak like us. That's a different equation. To go down to Union Gospel Mission, to go to the north side, to go to the south side, to go to Como, to go to Poly, to go minister where you're now the minority and they aren't quite like you. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He stepped down. And that's not a derogatory thing. If I go to the north side, I'm not stepping down and becoming lowly. I'm just saying, you know what? I'm not high and mighty. I'm not better than these people. I'm going to get off my high horse, my supposed high horse, and I'm going to go minister among others. It's a, it's a humiliating situation sometimes but it should be a humbling situation a willful situation that i humble myself and i say you know what i have no right to think that i'm better than anybody else because i'm not and to be able to go minister and love the way he did second corinthians 8 9 says this you know the grace of the lord jesus christ that though he was rich he became poor think about that the creator of the universe had everything at his disposal had Angels worshiping him had the relationship with God the Father. He became poor, literally poor. He went from having everything at his disposal to having nothing. No house to live in, no assets, no job, nothing. He became poor. How much are we willing to do to show love to somebody else? Well, third, this passage tells us that Jesus obeyed the Father regardless of the cost. It says he became obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. This passage that we started with, love one another even as I have loved you, is a command. How willing are you to obey it? Regardless of the cost, Jesus put his Father's will above his own. Hey, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. I have to think there were days when he looked around at those 12 stinky disciples and went, good grief, how did I choose these guys? Especially Peter. Man, there are days, you know, I would, I would want to just backhand Peter. Yeah, I love over in, um, this is an aside, but I, I would want to backhand Peter except for the fact that I'm just like Peter. I love this. He says, John chapter 13 this is that upper room discourse when he's trying to let him know what's happening and I'm going to the cross and I'm going to leave you. And he says, little children, I'm, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, guess what Peter says? Simon, Peter says, Lord... Where are you going? He just said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. But this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Peter didn't hear any of that. All he heard him say was, a little while longer, you will seek me, and you're not going to be able to find me. 
Where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Mm, wrong, wrong answer. <laughs> Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. I, I just have to think there were days that he wanted to just, you know, just throttle Peter. You know, and just shake the Holy Spirit into him. You know, or just change God's plan. Just bring the Holy Spirit now, Father. Come on. You know, this guy, he, he is totally incapable. But he obeyed the Father's will no matter what it was going to cost him. And he kept an eternal perspective. Um, our small group on Monday nights is, is studying a book uh, called by Randy Alcorn called uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I highly recommend it. It's a great book. And it's all about having an eternal perspective about all things, especially material things. An eternal perspective. Jesus Christ had an eternal perspective. He was willing to suffer now in order to accomplish God's eternal will. Loving one another sometimes doesn't seem like it is worth it, but it is if you have an eternal perspective. So he obeyed. Romans 5.19 says, For as though the, through one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Because he was obedient, we have hope. We have righteousness. We have a right relationship with God. How about this? Jesus also sacrificed his life for ours. Philippians 2.8 says, Even death on a cross. He was so obedient... He took it all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. He sacrificed his life for you and I. He died in your place and in my place. Never forget that. You know, when you you think about Easter and you think about the cross and you think about the empty tomb, don't forget that it should have been you on that cross. He died in your place. He sacrificed his life for ours. He put our well-being above his own. And isn't that what love is all about? Isn't that truly love when you put somebody else's well-being above your own? And it's easy to do, or it's easier to do, when it's your kids, your wife, maybe your grandparents. Um, But what if they're not a blood relative? What if it's just some guy? What if it's a neighbor? But Jesus Christ didn't, he didn't say, well, I'll do this for the disciples because I've invested two and a half, three years in their lives, but I'm not going to do it for anybody else. He did it for everybody. Put their well-being above his own. And his death on the cross was the ultimate expression of his love for us. How could he have shown any more love? If you ever feel like, man, I just don't think Jesus loves me. Go take a look at the cross. How much more could he show you that he loves you than die for you? Greater love has no man than this, than he what? Lay down his life for his friend. You can't show any more love than that. If I take a bullet for you, I love you. If I jump out of the way and let you take it, I don't love you. How much more can he show us? It's the greatest expression of his, his love for us and the Father's love. John 15, he goes on and says this, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Then you lay down your life for your friend. 
You, you, can't ex- you can't show any greater love. And that's not just dying. It's dying to your rights. It's dying to your will. It's dying to your way. It's putting somebody else ahead of you. It, it means that I'm not going to get to watch TV when I want to watch TV because I'm going to go love my kids. It's when my son walks in and I've got lots to do and he says, Dad, would you play soccer with me? And I say, yes, I will play soccer with you and I'll deal with this later. If it means I've got to stay up later to get the work done, I'm going to do that because I'm going to go love my son. That's what this is talking about. It's putting the other person first. God proved his love. Not only does Jesus show his love, the greatest expression of his love is death on the cross, but God proved his love for us by sending and using his son as a payment for our death penalty. We were all condemned to die. We couldn't pay the price. And so what does he do? I love you so much for God so loved the world that he sent. He sends his son to die in my place and your place. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more can he show you? How much more? What keeps us from loving one another, guys? I, I think you, you probably know this, but I'm, I'm just going to share a few things that I think uh, keep us. There are barriers that keep us from loving one another the way Christ intends us to. Uh, there are things that just inherently are in us that keep us from loving one another. And I'm just going to look at a few passages this morning. There are a whole bunch of them, but these are just some of the ones I ran into. But number one, we judge one another. Over in Romans 14.3 it says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. We judge one another. You know, we we hold each other to the wrong kind of standards. We uh, think we're better than somebody else. It, It takes place. It's in the church today. How about lawsuits with one another? You know, this happens on a regular basis within the church. 1 Corinthians 6, 7, Actually, then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Doesn't that just kind of, you know, stick in your craw? I mean, be defrauded? What are you, nuts? I'm going to let him take advantage of me? I have that conversation with my kids all the time. I'm just like, so let him, let him get away with it. No, Dad, I'm not going to let him get away with that. Why not? Why not? But see, just like with the Corinthians, man, we'll, we'll go to the courts. We'll, we'll file lawsuits against people. We'll, and the world looks in and goes, how are you any different than us? How are you any different than us? How about fighting with one another? Galatians 5.15. But if you are given to fighting with one another, take care that you are not the cause of destruction of one another, fighting with one another, getting in arguments with one another. You know, it, it's uncanny to see when, and I hate that this happens, you know, the, the truth is we should be able to do business with one another, right? But haven't you heard people say, I don't do, I don't do business with Christians. Other Christians say that. And I've said that, you know, when I, when I have my own company, you know, some of the worst people to do business with were other Christians. They were typically the slowest paying accounts. And they were just, you know, well, you're a brother. You understand. Uh, but we fight with one another, we argue with one another, and it's destroying the witness of the church. How about this one? We envy one another. And I know every guy in this room has done that. You know, you get your new car and then you drive up and you see somebody else got a newer car. 
or a more expensive car. Or you get invited over to their house and you look at their house and you think, and we envy. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. We either are boastful and we think we have more or we don't have enough and we envy. Either way, it's destructive and it's alive and well in the church today. How about slandering one another? Brothers, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. This one is one we do real subtly, and it's often in the, in the form of a prayer request. Hey, you need to pray for so-and-so. He's really struggling with addiction. You know, I think he's, you know, he's struggling with pornography. And you're telling somebody else, and you're couching it in terms of prayer, but you're really slandering. You're spreading information that maybe doesn't need to be spread. We really need to be careful with this. I need to be careful with this. We need to watch what we say, not to slander one another, not to say things to bring somebody down or to harm their reputation. And sometimes we do it to make ourselves feel better. If we can bring somebody else down, it it looks like it raises it up, but it does just the opposite. How about looking down on one another? Romans 12, 3, For by grace, the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with a measure of faith God has given you. Don't think too highly of yourself. And basically saying, don't look down on other people. Have you ever done that? You ever been driving down the road, see the guy on the side of the road, and he's, you know, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Get a job, you bum. You know, I want you to live like me. Well, you know, I work hard. Come on. Don't think more highly than yourselves. But by the grace of God, you could be right there. Don't think more highly than yourselves. And then don't neglect, neglect one another. And this one, I think, is a key one in the church today. James 2. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? You know, this book that my small group is doing on Monday nights, we had a great discussion the other night because one of the things it challenges us with is there should be no need within the body of Christ. There should be no need, physical or otherwise, because the body is fully equipped to meet the needs of the body. But think how many people go without while others live in abundance. And it's a radical way of thinking that, I'm not saying we go live in a commune, we sell everything we have and we live in equanimity. No, the way that makes it work is that some of us are very adept at making money and God blesses that and we, but just like Ramesh Richard the other day in his sermon said, why has God blessed you? He's blessed you to be a blessing. He's blessed you to share with those who don't have what you have. Don't neglect one another. Don't walk by a brother. If you hear of somebody who has a need, maybe he wants you to meet it. Maybe he's blessed you so that you can meet it. So neglecting one another. Well, what would this kind of love look like? And we'll close with this. What would it look like? If you got your Bibles, look over in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to blow through these pretty quick. So write fast. What would it look like if we really could do this? 
And I really tried to find a passage that would really kind of point this out to me. You can go to Acts and you can see in the new, the, the new church when it started, the love they had for one another. They were selling their possessions. They were feeding one another, housing one another, taking care of one another. But look at Romans 12, starting in verse 9. And we're going to go through these, but let me read it real quickly. It says, let love, that word is agape, it's the kind of love that Jesus Christ showed for us, selfless, sacrificial love. Let that kind of love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what would this look like? I've just kind of put these out, and you can put them in your notes if you want. You'll get them right out of this passage. Number one, it would be without hypocrisy. It it, it wouldn't be hypocritical. You wouldn't love one person one way and another person another way. You wouldn't act one way at home and act another way at church. You wouldn't act one way at at business. And it would be without hypocrisy. It would be consistent. It would hate what is evil. The kind of love Jesus Christ is talking about is the love that hates evil, not hates the evil person or the one doing the evil, but it hates the evil. It, It despises it, and it wants to replace it with love. It would cling to what is good. That word means to be, it's like glued together. You would cling to what is good, you'd hate what's evil, and you'd cling to what is good. And would come out in your love. It would come out in devotion and brotherly love. Those two words have to do with the love between a husband and a wife and the love between a family member, a brother and a sister. They're very intimate terms. We should love one another that way. It would give preference to the other in honor. It would put the other first. It would say, you know what, hey, you go first. Hey, let's meet your needs first. I'm going to honor you today. But no, we tend to want to honor ourselves first. It would be diligent. That means not lazy in its effort. Love takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Man, loving, loving your kids sometimes, loving your wife sometimes, loving one another is a lot of hard work. But don't be lazy about it. Be diligent. Keep keeping on. It would be fervent in spirit, it tells us. That means enthusiastic. You know, my wife hates nothing more than unenthusiastic love. Hey, honey, I love you today. Here's some flowers. Here. I cleaned the kitchen. I love you. You know, that's not going to go over well at all. But isn't that how we love sometimes? It's just no enthusiasm, no zeal, no fervor. It should be fervent in spirit. It would, it would serve the Lord. It means you're going to yield to him. What does he want you to do? Who does he want you to love? How does he want you to love? It would rejoice in hope. It would be happy in the fact that we have a hope, that we have something in store for us, that when we love, 
it is expressing the love of God to others. It is putting hope into somebody else's life. And some, there are some people in this church today, and there's probably some men in this room today, who just need a little bit of love to give them the hope they need to keep keeping on. A little bit of love. We would rejoice in hope. We would, it would persevere in tribulation. Persevere. It would keep on keeping on, even in the midst of tough times. If you're having trouble in your marriage, if you're having trouble with your kids, you keep on keeping on even when things are not going well, even when the other person is the most unlovely they've ever been. You persevere. It would be devoted to prayer. It would be backed by prayer because sometimes, guys, it is really hard to love, isn't it? So you need to pray. You need to pray. Devote yourself to prayer. It would be contributing to the needs of others. Love has an expression. It meets needs, physical, emotional. It would be practicing hospitality, opening up your home, opening up your office when somebody comes in and they want to talk, that you say, okay, come on in. I'm all ears. Taking them to lunch, taking them to have coffee. It would bless in the face of persecution. Even when the other person is totally rejecting your love, it would still bless. It would still love. It would rejoice with the happy. It would cry with the sad. You know, one of the things that happens in a church like this is a body comes together. There are happy people. There are sad people. We need to rejoice with those who are happy. Sometimes we get jealous. They got a raise. Rats. Why didn't I get the raise? They got a new car. Rats. Why didn't I get a new car? They bought a new home. Rats. Why did they get the new home? Learn to rejoice with them. And then learn to cry with them. When they're sad, cry alongside of them. We would live in harmony with others. Harmony. Getting along. Not fighting. Not bickering. But in harmony. It would not be arrogant. This kind of love is not arrogant. It's not a condescending love. Oh, I'll love you. I'll waste a few of my precious hours on you. I'll come down to your level and I'll, well, I'll wallow in your world for a while. That's not what Jesus Christ did. That's not what this is talking about. It is not arrogant. It would associate with the lowly, not the lull. I don't know what happened there. It would associate with the lowly. Those who are low. Those who have less, perhaps. Those who don't have what you have. Don't have the education. Don't have the, the resources. Don't have the, the future. Don't have, you, would, you would associate with them. It's the very thing the Pharisees were unwilling to do. It would not be conceded. It would not seek payback for evil. It just doesn't do it. If somebody does something to you that you don't like, you don't seek a payback. Love does not seek revenge. It would respect what is right in the sight of all men. It would be sensitive to the needs, the desires, the thoughts of others and act accordingly. This doesn't mean do what everybody says, but you're sensitive to those around you. And it would respect their thoughts. It would seek to be at peace with all men. All men. As best as you can, you seek to be at peace. It would seek to meet the needs meet needs instead of revenge. That idea of pouring, what does he say? But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. Instead of doing what you feel like doing, do the opposite. Love him instead of seeking revenge. It would overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Well, here's the key, guys. By all, 
This all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, we've said this before. God left us here for a reason. And guess what? You and I are the expression of his love now. Because Jesus Christ is now sitting back at the right hand of the Father. He was the expression of that love. And he still is in the sense that he lowered himself, came, died, rose again, sits at the right hand. But we are now his emissaries. We're his ambassadors. We are the expression of love on this earth. The love of God. And it's as we love one another, what this verse tells me is that as I love you and you love me, the world will know, they will be convinced, they will understand that we are his disciples. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell them I'm his disciple, if I don't love, they don't buy it. And that's why so many people outside the church are not attracted to the church, because we don't know how to love one another. So what does he say? Love one another even as I have loved you, sacrificially, humbly, consistently. Lay it all on the line. Love one another. Would you stand and let me close this in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the love that you showed us, that proof of your love by sending your son to die on the cross in our place. Jesus Christ, we thank you that the greatest expression of your love for me and for the men in this room is that you died for us. You took our place. What an incredible expression. Lord, I just pray that today, somehow, some way, you would show each and every one of us in this room how we might love one another more. Father, the biggest part of it I know for me is that I've got to stop looking and consuming myself, that I am the center of my world, that everything revolves around me that my needs are more important than anybody else's, that my pain is more painful than anybody else's pain, that my will and my desires and my plans are more important than anybody else's. Father, help us to look and see that there are those around us who need to be loved. And that love takes on tangible form in how we meet each other's needs, how we encourage, how we love, how we come alongside how we admonish at times, how we correct at times, and sometimes just how we wrap our arms around one another and say, you know what, I love you, and you don't have to love me back. Father, may we as men not be afraid to love because your son loved. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son and our Savior. Amen. Guys, have a great spring break. There is no homework. We'll be back here in two weeks.